0: As a breed, there's so many like different bloodlines within the breed, right? So like we're as dog trainers, right? We obviously definitely want to know about what we're getting into before we deal with the case and a new client. So it's always good to know about different breeds of dogs, or different, or at least the different types of dogs, right? Like what propensity do the flock guardian breeds have? Which propensities do the terriers have? Now German shepherds. There's. I cannot think of any other breed of dog that has so many differences within the breed.
1: I've been wanting to explore these topics in a podcast episode for some time. Protection training and how this can be useful to help us understand aggression in dogs and a deeper look into the German Shepherd breed. I get to chat with none other than Mike DeBruzzo about his experience with protection training, and I get to pick his brain about all things German Shepherds. And this episode is sponsored by AggressiveDog.com, where you can find a variety of educational offerings with a focus on helping dogs with aggression, including the Aggression in Dogs Master Course, the most comprehensive course available anywhere in the world on helping dogs with aggression, and the Aggression in Dogs Conference, a unique three-day live stream event happening from October 22nd to 24th, 2021 with 12 amazing speakers. You can find out more by going to thelooseleashacademy.com. Hey everyone, I'm Mike Shikashio. Welcome back to the Bitey End of the Dog. I'm super excited for this week's guest, special guest Mike DeBruzzo, who I met, uh, I would say it's been a few years now, Mike, where uh, we were actually introduced by a good friend of ours, Bonnie Brown. Um, she kind of made the connection and I went down to, or should I say up to New York <laughs> to visit Mike and um, and watch him train with protection trained dogs. And we're going to get into that subject in a little bit, but it was a really great experience for me because I got to see some of these aspects of working with aggression. And Michael, can, again, dive deep into that topic as well in a different facet than what I typically do to help pet owners. And I've been following Mike actually, even before Bonnie introduced us. I've been watching some of his videos on his Canine One channel, which is he's got some really fantastic stuff on there. So I'll let Mike actually tell you a little bit more about himself and his background.
0: Oh, hi, Mike. Thanks for having me on. It's a real pleasure to be here. A little bit about my background for your listeners is I've always been fascinated with dogs since a, a child, like a lot of you. And I actually started off. As a veterinary technician, I went to school for veterinary science in 1993 because I asked my guidance counselor about being a dog trainer, and he looked at me like I wanted to join the circus, right? There was no file to pull out for that at the time. So I actually, I was lucky enough to get started because one of my professors was a professional dog trainer and ran an elective class on dog training. And that is actually where I got my start, learning how to train dogs. In an elective class, we learned about the history of dog training and different techniques. And we were watching like Ian Dunbar videos, like when the serious puppy training videos were first out. It it was really cool. But eventually, when I graduated from that particular school... I was working as a veterinary technician and I was going through like my knowledge stage where I just wanted to absorb everything. And I was just stacks of books. This was before the internet was really big. Eventually, I did go back to school in in 1997 and I attended the Tom Rose School, where I actually got a lot of exposure, mostly to sport type training, which is where I got a lot of my knowledge about sport type training, even though they definitely dabbled in more realistic types of, um, aggression training over there. And right after I graduated from there, I pretty much hit the ground running in 1998 and I worked, I got hired right away by a company that was mostly training security dogs. So I was hired to train security dogs and then run classes to certify security handlers how to handle their new security dogs for private companies. And we would, so I'd have to teach him about the husbandry of the dogs, how to handle them, all this kind of stuff. And he was also a vendor for the Department of Defense. And so I would train. And when there's a vendor for the Department of Defense, I'm not sure if this is the way they still do this, like we're going back to like late 1990s, that point is up. I would get a green dog that was imported, which basically didn't know anything. It was just healthy and had the right drives. And I was training it to do like basic bite work and to be able to locate a couple of odors and had to go and pass certain tests to be accepted into the military. So I was doing that mostly. And on my own, on the side, I was opening, I was running my own business. And just by, because it was the only thing I was able to get when I just started, it seemed like everyone had aggressive dogs and everyone had aggression problems. It was like the bread and butter for me, or those were the ones that I would end up with at least. So I just happened to start off doing a lot of aggression cases. And I noticed doing working formally protection dogs or security dogs and military dogs and also working with dogs that were aggressive, that owners did not want them to be aggressive, that. It sort of goes hand in hand. A lot of things I was doing with the dogs that we didn't want to be aggressive went hand in hand with the dogs that I did want to be aggressive because it was the same drives. It was the same instincts of the dog. And I was adding control towards both of them. And training personal protection dogs on my own actually became something that was like natural and just sort of snowballed where I went off onto my own by like the early 2000s. I was full time on my own and I was mostly working with aggression cases and doing a lot of personal protection training for people because there were people that were seeking it out. I loved it. I always had a fascination with working dogs. And that was really my bread and butter for just about 20 years. And mostly, even though I was doing like a donation program for police officers and I would do seminars for police, I was mostly 95% of what I was doing was working with the public and doing personal protection dogs. The interesting thing, Mike, is it's not that most of these people called me up asking for personal protection training. Often what ended up happening is they called me because they had a work-in-line dog or a dog with a propensity to be protective that they couldn't control. And it just made sense and sort of evolved that the owners after they got control over their dogs that they just wanted to learn how to give the dog an outlet which when you have a dog that's naturally aggressive you're not making the dog more aggressive by training them in protection you're actually just controlling that instinct that that they already have all right and that's mostly what i did 20 you know for 20 straight years and now i made like a full circle right after about 20 years in the field I was asked to work for a career school, which is high schoolers, 11th and 12th graders. And I teach mostly animal training during the day. So when they go to their guidance counselor, they don't have to look at the kids like they want to join the circus, right? Um, And then at nighttime, mostly doing mentoring and running classes for other dog trainers that want to learn more about personal protection training and working with aggressive dogs. Very similar to you, Mike, with with the aggression cases. So it's really come full circle like you had that original
1: guidance counselor that didn't really have an answer for you so you created the answer for it and now you're kind of filling that role. It's kind of neat how that's all worked out. So let's kind of jump right into that topic of personal protection dogs. I think maybe people that haven't worked in that field or don't have a lot of experience might have their conceptions about that and what it looks like. We think of working with a bite sleeve, we think of bite sports, short French ring, module, those kind of things. So, give us a little bit of your knowledge on that. Like, what's the difference between what you do and then something that we might see in bite sports?
0: Work. There's actually very big difference between what you would see in bite sports and personal protection training. Right? At least the way the way that I feel it works, it works best. Right? Now, every trainer, you're going to see different opinions. Right? And and some trainers will offer personal protection training that's going to seem very similar to what you would see in sport training. And in sport training, if no if someone is not that familiar, right? They're mostly working off of the dog's play or prey drive, depending on how you want to classify it. When they're puppies and it's immature and they're, you know, they're chasing after tugs, I call it play drive, right? And you teach the dog how to bite and how to enjoy it. And when some dogs get mature with puppies and all predators, right, it's like puppy play is practice being an adult, right? So it's practice actually grabbing and killing things. So, so a lot of sport training is not that different from even some police dog training, right? They're, they're really exploiting that play drive when they're a puppy. And then when they're adult, it very easily can become true prey drive where they're seeing people as prey. And that's the main instinct that the work that the dog is really working on. The other thing that you see in dog sports in particular is the use of barrier frustration, which is used to get the dogs to bark. And this is important. This is important to realize the difference between some of the things we do in personal protection training and even in police and in sport training, and even when trying to understand what's going on with some behavior problems, right? So barrier frustration is what you see in sport training is usually when dogs do things like bark and holds, right? They train the dog to go after the decoy and they have to bark at the decoy and look aggressive. And then they're allowed to bite the decoy at some point. Now, because in sport training, it's mostly trained and it's pretty fun and the dog doesn't really think it is serious it is difficult for the dog to look really aggressive unless you have a dog that easily gets frustrated when they're waiting to bark, okay? Now, that barrier frustration is something, in my opinion, and actually, it's not even an opinion. You'll see breeders of sport dogs that will purposely breed, selectively breed dogs that bark easily when they're frustrated. They'll even give a rating to it. Like I've bought puppies before where their breeder would give a number value to how easily their dogs will bark. Important to remember, right? Because I know like a lot of you are dealing with react dogs that are reactive and stuff like that. And you will find that dogs that come from heavy sport lines usually get much more barrier frustration for that particular reason. And that's any dog that you commonly see people doing sports with. So it's not just the German Shepherds. You can get Doberman Pinschers that have incredible. They're from um, sporting lines, um, very strong barrier frustration. You could see it with all different types of dogs. Now, so we're working with these dogs on different instincts. Now, in police dogs, they don't really need the dogs to bark for no particular reason. So this is interesting differences, too. So I'm really good. I know we're talking about personal protection, but you can really there's really huge differences between sport dogs, police dogs and personal protection dogs, although there are many dogs that can do great at all three jobs. But police dogs, when I was working for another company and training dogs as a vendor for the Department of Defense, again, this is before the Internet was very popular. We used to deal with importers that were usually like from Europe, and they would bring over green dogs. And when describing the dogs, a very common thing you would hear was this dog is clear headed, like this is a nice, clear headed dog. And what clear headed meant means what this term means is that the dog did not easily get frustrated and like spin around in circles or bark its head off when it was excited that it was very, very steady. So this obviously makes the dog easier to handle when you're training the dog, especially when it's excited. Really good quality for a police dog, right? There's no need for this dog to be barking its head off when they're about to use it. So those dogs are very easy. In the sport world, those dogs don't do that great because they're silent. It's harder to get them to bark in the barking holes. And you'll see people that are really into sport training do all kinds of tricks to get this dog to bark easier, right? When they need it to accomplish something like a bark and hold. Now, we go into personal protection training. Personal protection training, if someone has a dog that was selectively bred and can easily see people as prey, you can technically, and a lot of people do, Train things like Dutch Shepherds and Malinois that have been bred to be heat-seeking fur missiles, right? To be pretty similar to like a gun, all right. Let's point this dog at someone and and fire it and let it bite someone. However, you do not need that, and I actually prefer dogs that have a strong what I call protective instinct of the owners. It's a completely different avenue to go, and you would be surprised at the amount of pet dogs that do really well using this drive and actually even do better at being personal protection dogs than dogs that have for generations been selectively bred to be used more offensively to point and chase after someone, because it is a completely different focus. And the way I discovered this is I would get clients that would want to do personal protection training with their dog. And I was used to doing working dogs. And they I have had a few clients that would come to me and they would have like an American show line German shepherd. All right. Now anyone who knows about German Shepherds or isn't a sport training, if you if you mention an American line dog that was bred for the show ring, and you're going to do any kind of bite work with it, you know, they're going to probably mock you, they're going to blow you off, or they're going to think it's a joke. Now, if you're looking for that dog to be a police dog, and to run through gunfire, and to bite someone, and take a beating, and just keep coming and coming and coming, like, yeah, it's pro- it's not going to do well. Yeah, It's going to be very hard to find an American show line shepherd. However, these, along with other lines of dogs that, are not necessarily thriving in the sport world or the police dog world including the um, the German showline dogs which I think are beautiful all right and do do some sport work but they generally cannot compete on the same level as the other sport dogs what I happened to notice especially early in my career before people were really importing a lot of these working lines when the internet became popular The working line dogs that I was dealing with were mostly coming from straight importers, you know, that were selling to police departments and military and stuff like this. Now, these were my dogs that had fear, aggression, overly protective of the owners, these kind of things. And if you swung around a tug, tried to really get them to do like really good bite work in a traditional sense, they didn't really thrive. But what I did through troubleshooting years and years ago is um, I had a dog. It wasn't a German Shepherd. It was actually a Doberman Pinscher, all right? It was a Doberman Pinscher that came from a pet store. I was running like a protection club. And it was mostly at that time, German Shepherds and dogs that were just better at it, that were from working lines. And someone showed up with a six-month-old pet store Doberman Pinscher that was neutered. And... He wanted to join the club. He had his Dover and Pinscher they just got from the pet store. And um, Sweet Dog, he was like a lamb. Name was Luke. And with puppies, we were starting off with just play, right? teaching them how to bite, teach as a game. This dog, you'd swing around the tug. It would barely look at it. It might paw at it. We might get like little bit of sparks of things every now and then. But the guy wanted to stick through with it. And he was very, very satisfied With just the dog doing the bare minimum because it was something, it was a bonding experience for him and the dog. You get out of the house. And because we were also doing obedience training and it wasn't very serious, we were making it mostly fun for the dog. And because the dog was so good natured, was not reactive, like we weren't going to do anything that the dog naturally was not showing. But then one day we were doing a drill with the other dogs where we were doing attacks on the owners where we were basically beating up the owners in front of the dog and then letting the dogs come and protect the owner. Now that particular day with that dog and this dog now is like 2 years of age come in mostly for fun. It was the first time we actually beat up the owner in front of the dog. It was supposed to be a fun drill that we did with the owner. Anyway, the dog lit up like I'd never seen him before, and when the dog came in and took a bite off of us, it was his bite was as hard as and as as the Rottweiler as the as as the giant Rottweiler that we were working at the at the time. It was like one of the hardest bites that I ever had at that time with the dog. and at that moment, things started clicking with me and it became really the The core of the personal protection program, where I was able to work much more with pet dogs. All right, and I, I know I'm talking my head off here, Mike. So you could always like yeah, just want to to pause yeah. there
1: for a second to to just so people get the right idea of what beating up the owner looks like. Now I've seen you do that. And I, <laughs> I get the I get the concept. Maybe you could def- just define that a little bit further before okay. we move on.
0: <laughs> okay, Mike. Yeah, I'm saying I'm, I'm a all right. That could sound really weird. All right. <laughs> so a lot of you have dogs, right? Like when you get a knock at the door and the dog barks, right? If someone goes up the driveway, the dog barks. A lot of people just play around. And it's like, who's there? Who's that? And the dog like barks, right? At the same time. Then eventually what ends up happening is even if there's not a car there, you say, who's that? Or what's that? And the dog perks up, right? It's a, it's a conditioned response. And they start, they start barking. By beating up the owner, like this goes through different stages, all right? So I'll explain this a little bit better. By say beating up the owner, it's a lot of good acting, right? And we're doing realistic training. I, I would tell the handlers that you have to be a good actor to make it believable for the dog because with the protective instinct, we are trying to trigger, we're working off the state of mind from the dog. So we're basically giving them a command that triggers a particular state of mind similar to when there's a bark on the door. So what we do when we start off with dogs is, and this is, you will not see anything like this in sport training, okay? And and not saying it's better or worse. I'm just saying, this is what I've done for years. And it worked really good for the clients. Gave a good experience to the dogs. Very great bonding experience. And 100% worked off of what these dogs were originally selectively bred for. What we would do instead of showing aggression towards the dog, we would show aggression towards their owners. And we would have the dog either held by someone on the opposite side of the room or hallway or wherever we're working, but a distance, a far enough distance where the dog does not feel directly threatened. And then we would have the owner away from the dog and we would have a bad guy go over and not look at the dog, but act threatening, all right, in different ways, either by yelling or approaching and shaking the owner. And the owner just had to be believable enough to crumble to the floor or make sissy noises. And if a dog is old enough, we do not do this with puppies. I don't do this with dogs under two years of age. And with some dogs, it may even be older than that. You will usually, if the dog loves the owner, it's hard for them to ignore that. And you will generally get a spark. Some dogs, it may simply be the slightest little woof out of the dog to try to intervene. And then we have the bad guy run away. And that is our spark that we work with. And then we give a command just before that happens. All right. So then we may give a word like watch. And right after the dog hears the word watch, someone appears that approaches the owner, not the dog on the other side of the room. And the dog lets out the wolf, and the agitator runs. Then you slowly build up the dog's confidence by making the interaction between the owner and the dog more and more intense, and the dog learns that their intervention, their aggressive display, definitely drives off the person. And that's the spark we work off of until eventually we bring these dogs closer and closer to the action, and I generally do it with the muzzle. And we let the dogs use their natural behavior. Sometimes it's simply splitting. You know, they may run in between and just run in between the owner and the agitator, and the agitator would run off. But we work with mother nature with the dog. That's how we start it with the dogs. Eventually, only after the dog does well with that, will we then have the agitator sometimes turn towards the dog? But the dog's confidence is now built so up enough, then you know, we, allow the, we, we allow the dog to, to win. right? We call it a win. Now, my best analogy for this is why it works so well, is if we were to take a dog, your average adult pet dog, and directly threaten the dog to try to teach it protection, eyeball that dog and try to protect it, a vast majority of dogs are showing no fear at all. They do not want to fight anyone for no reason. It's kind of like if you were walking down the street and some thug was just eyeballing you when you're by yourself. If you can look the other way, do the equivalent of a common signal, right? You're just going to go. We're not looking for trouble. Dogs, most dogs are not looking for trouble. All right. But now if you're walking down the street and you're with someone that you love, a child, a spouse and a thug grabs that person that you love, I don't care if it's Mike Tyson, you're much more likely to intervene. And this is a natural instinct of dogs, right? And you can see them. I mean, you could pull up videos of of German shepherds jumping in swimming pools to drag their owners out of water by the hair. And all these stories you hear about dogs dragging people from fires and all kinds of crazy stuff. Like this stuff actually really happens. And it was, it is a survival instinct. There's studies. You could even look up studies. If you want to go way back in ethology, before dogs were domesticated, you can even see studies where you could even see wolves show this behavior, protecting each other when they're attacked by other wolves or their pups are attacked by a bear. All right. So this is a natural drive that people generally don't pay attention to, right? People always talk about prey drive and territorial aggression. But protective aggression is a real thing that you can definitely work with, with a lot of pet dogs.
1: Yeah, I think I've definitely, you know, it's kind of the theme of the last couple of seasons here. We've been talking about theology and genetics and the things we not, you know, we select for, for behaviors in dogs. And this protective behavior can certainly be one of them with many of the different breeds that we have out there. And I just wanted to unpack and define a couple of things you had mentioned before. So the term green dog, just for anybody that's listening that's never heard that term, green dog, just simply mean the dog that's had no training, right? And, yeah. And
0: and then- yeah, green, green dog is a common term yeah. for someone who's selling prospects for work and applications. And they're generally healthy adult dogs that x-ray well and show the right temperament for the work, but mm-hmm. don't have any real- Formal training.
1: I think we use the same thing for trainers sometimes too. You know, we, we talk about something new to training as green, which is a good thing. It means they yeah. they can learn new
0: things. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, you need the right temperament to yeah. <laughs> train dogs, <don't.
1: laughs> And then the other the other term that I think it really and this one can be controversial too. There's a lot of definitions or potential ways to define this, but prey drive, right? So, so that's a term that, especially if we start looking into certain schools of thought like applied behavior analysis, we might think of that as a construct or a label, right? And so how do you especially come from again the protection side of the, the dog training world it's a very common term in that you know when we're talking about drives so how do you define prey drive
0: what I do is it's much easier for for my purposes where where I split prey drive into um, play drive and and prey drive so I would say most trainers if they hear the word prey drive they're associating it with not only the drive to catch and kill prey animals, a totally offensive sort of way. They also use the term when animals are like chasing after a ball, or they have high prey drive, they love chasing after a ball, or they like biting onto a toy and hanging on. we use them here, the word prey drive, prey drive, prey drive. But what I do is I separate it into play drive, which is like an immature version, I call it. For instance, I have a Portuguese water dog that has tons of play drive. So she'll chase after things and bite things all day, but I would not say she has strong prey drive because I do not get the impression she's going to go and like kill an animal, chase after and kill an animal. Although some Portuguese water dogs will, right? Don't don't go let your Portuguese water dog now go chase after the squirrels. But I have, for instance, a German Shepherd that for sure will has strong prey drive and strong prey drive, and he will. He's grabbed a hold of a couple of groundhogs, like I know, and he's killed them. He's killed them and actually consumed them before. So that's like true prey drive. Now, you will also find, like I worked with a Dogo Argentino, for example, that had strong prey drive, but I would say didn't have very strong play drive. So this thing would hunt after boar and get very excited and turn into a different animal when he saw wild animals. But you could swing around toys all day with them, and he was very like, he didn't care about them too much. And we do have to think about what we want these dogs for and what they were used for, right? Like, for instance, Dogos, no one was really doing sport training with them or playing fetch with them. Like, they were taking them out and they were hunting. So they needed a dog with these mature levels, where if you notice, for example, a lot of like sporting breed, right? Like the Labradors and Golden Retrievers, it's like... They didn't want dogs really out there killing the birds, right? They wanted them to basically play, right? Fetch them, you know, bring them back and not completely maul them. So that genetic side of thing is, is very important to recognize that if you sort of split that drive up and, you know, and understand, classify play drive and prey drive a little bit differently, even though they're very similar, it makes it easier. Even when you're just like talking to other trainers about a prospect, or would a particular dog maybe be good at? Because at trainers, a lot of it, especially when we have a job to do or working or working dog, you need the right prospect for the the job. So if we're talking protection dogs or police dogs in particular, right, you need a strong prey drive. They need to see those people as actual prey, where in personal protection, you'd be surprised because you don't really need the dogs to see the people as prey. You can work with a dog that does not have a strong prey drive. You could work with a breed like one of the many different flock guardians out there that notoriously are not supposed to have strong prey drive, not supposed to be out there killing animals and things like that. However, they've been selectively bred to be very protective, right? To be protective of those within their group. So, those things are like a cinch you know those things are a cinch to change, yeah uh, the training yeah. i I remember, I remember asking
1: that question you know about certain breeds, you know, have you ever had, like a Labrador come through your program and like make it as a good protection trained dog, and I think I think is that maybe one or
0: something <laughs> you know like that. a lot of people don't even try, they don 't try to do it, but I did have it you know you never know until you try, just like a lot of the breeds you can't assume anything anymore, right because they're being <laughs> bred less. Or what yeah. they originally were for i mean some of my most aggressive dangerous dogs that i dealt with happened to be labrador crosses you know like <laughs> i've had uh, it's it's just it ends up happening right you're gonna if you're training you will come across those killer golden retrievers and labrador retrievers cocker spaniels are a classic example right you go back to you know you go back and read studies you go to those scott and fuller studies at jackson laboratories 20 years like the cocker spaniel was the epitome of the non-aggressive dog. They actually did tests where they tried to get them to bite, right? And they couldn't get these things to bite. But what ended up happening, right? They were known to be so non-aggressive. They were overbred. And now who cares? You get one, you know, you get one of resource guarding or things like that is, you know, they're still being, they're still being sold. So, so you're going to get that. You're going to get Labrador Retrievers and Golden Retrievers and ones that will definitely do personal protection training. They definitely will. I had um one trainer that was there with her Y Mariner and um goofy Y and she watched us doing training and she wanted to see what would happen if we beat her up in front of her dog, right? Her dog was older, it was like four or five years old. And I said, I don't know. I was like, I don't, I was like, I don't think this dog is gonna do it, you know, because I didn't ever test with the Y But usually the owners know their own dogs really well. And we took the the owner far end of some long hallway and we had someone come up to her and act aggressive. And sure enough, this dog, at the very least, he was ready to intervene. It was very easy to prompt him to do it. He barked his head off. He ran up. We let him chase the person away. He ran back to his mommy, jumped all over her. He had the instinct. So you would be surprised. And But personal protection, this is the other thing that a lot of people don't know. You don't ever want to judge a personal protection dog based off of the things that they judge a good sport dog or a good police dog for, right? So for instance, in sport training, we highly value the full mouth bite, right? Where the dog is biting and it's calm and doesn't loosen up its grip under pressure, even police dogs. Police dogs, it's at a whole nother level. You want a dog to bite, hold on. These dogs have now been selectively bred to the point where they'll get stabbed and they'll die while they're still biting. And for the, for the purposes of what they use these dogs for now in law enforcement, whether you agree with it or not, it's how they tactically use the dogs, right? They're heat seek and bear traps. They keep the person busy while a team of people can also jump on this person and put handcuffs on them or whatever else if it's used correctly. Now, personal protection, completely different standards. And you wouldn't even want that. You wouldn't want a dog to necessarily bite someone and take and get stabbed with a knife, All right, To that point with a personal protection dog, because what good is your dog if it just could get stabbed and someone could keep coming after you? Now, If you want a good book, a good history book to read about German Shepherds and even training, I highly recommend Conrad Most's book. This is a very old book, and he's considered the grandfather, right, of dog training. For sure, you do not want to read that book and think of it as a manual for dog training, right? You gotta take it in context. This is very long time ago. However, if you read it, in my opinion, he's Absolutely one of the greatest dog trainers of all time. He doesn't get enough r- recognition. It is not the mechanics of how he trains. It is his understanding of the dog and his thoughtfulness of knowing how they think and using it to his advantage in training. Now, Conrad Most is one of the first people to really illustrate how to train a police dog. And the way he trained police dogs is actually more similar to how I train, would train a personal protection dog. They don't use dogs the way they used to. Originally, the dogs were used as bodyguards for the police officers, right? So the police officers were not armed. They may have had a club and they were by themselves. The dog was a bodyguard. And he said in the manual, you know, what good is it when you put all this training into the dog and then someone like breaks the dog's bones, right? First time you have to interact with someone. So he did not like, he did not want a dog that would bite someone and hang on while it's getting beaten. He wanted a dog to be respectful of weapons, stay out of the way, and we're going with mother nature right Canines have been avoided antlers and horns like since the beginning of time. Now you have to think about this so if anyone's listening and they're really into sport training and into uh, like police dog training, you have to like rethink certain things and be like and understand why this makes sense. It makes sense why they do what they do for police dogs and sport dogs. But with a personal protection dog, the dog's job is to protect you and allow you to get away to safety. Okay. So now if you have a dog that you give it the alert to show aggression towards someone and it's off leash, Conrad, the way Conrad most trained his dogs and the way that I train dogs or at least allow dogs to be, I go at mother nature. Someone comes to me and they have like a working line, um, Dutch shepherd, police lines, and the dog wants to come in and hang on for dear life. I'm like, I teach someone how to use that dog in the best way possible, right? But if someone has their show line, American German shepherd, and the dog stands in front of someone and barks its head off but is not confident to walk into those swinging kicks and punches and frantic swinging of a stick or a bar to keep the dog away, that dog is still doing its job if that person cannot turn their back on the dog to get to the owner. And it works. It actually works and is safer. So that person is busy. And these dogs naturally, just like a wild dog, are more confident when their back turns, right? The person... The, the person turns away from the dog to attack the owner. Yes, the dog, most of these dogs are going to bite someone. The same stuff you're dealing with when you go to someone's home and they have an aggression case, right? It's like these dogs are more likely to bite someone who's walking the other, going the other way or stuff like, you know, or stuff like that. So these dogs would keep people at bay. They would keep, they after they would chase someone down, Conrad Most, when the person would stop and turn around to fight the dog, the dog would stay out of reach to allow the officer to get close. So the dog's not killed. The dog's not hurt. The person cannot run away because they're going to get bit in the butt or the leg and they cannot attack the officer or the owner. All right. And it works. If we're talking about the officer, right, this allows them more easily to escort the person or put cuffs on the person or whatever. If we're talking about personal protection, it makes it easier for the person to get away from the situation And when they have enough distance to call their dog back and they have their dog back with no injuries, call the dog back into the car. These are the kind of drills that I would be doing inside of these classes. And a lot of dogs can do it, All right? And dogs to varying degrees will engage in different ways. But the thing is, like, if you go with mother nature, like dogs know a lot. And that's why the American, we're talking about different lines of German shepherds, right? I actually started to prefer when the longer I was doing personal protection training and not doing like military or security dogs, the more I would prefer when a dog had some like American show line slipped in, because this is what happens. If you notice, what dogs do you deal with that have like the worst separation anxiety or cannot take their do- their eyes off of their owners, All right. A lot of these dogs, like the American line German Shepherds that cannot take their eyes off the owners, go crazy, they have, they love their owners. They love their owners so much that those dogs, if you have an old enough American line German Shepherd that doesn't have like really like serious, you know, a, a normal dog, that doesn't have like serious genetic issues within typical normalcy for that breed they're watching that that owner like a hawk. And those are the perfect hiking buddies and great for personal protection because they're watching people around them and they're concerned about the owner. And when you teach those dogs, when you hear a command, someone's coming after your owner, it's different. It's a much less selfish type of aggression, right? It's very easy to get these dogs to react and intervene where you will see a lot of police officers it's not anything about protecting the officer, right? It's about what the dog wants to go and do on its own, hunt, and it wants to hunt and bite. So it has nothing to do with the owner. And a lot of these dogs, if they're trained the wrong way or not carefully, they'll bite their handler just as easy as the bad guy. You know, put the, put the handler in a bite suit, he's going to bite him. Or if you put their own handler in the line of fire, you'd be surprised how many dogs will bite, bite the owner because it's about the joy of actually just biting something completely different drive it's a completely yeah. different
1: drive so, so let's talk a little bit more about german shepherds you know because because I, I get a lot of flack for even having a german shepherd as a logo on the on the podcast <laughs> show but i love german shepherds and you know, i work with them quite often in my line of work as well and so you know i'd love to spend a little time just kind of going through the different types of german shepherds so maybe you can get into that like first real quickly the difference between maybe some folks aren't familiar with the difference between like what the term show line working line means and then maybe even like you know, for me, when I have a pet owner or a client that contacts me and they get a German Shepherd because they love the dog, but they actually haven't done much research on you know show lines, working lines. And then I have some clients, you know, they're they're spending a ton of money. Maybe they're importing a, a working line Czech Shepherd, you know. I've and I've had that happen, and they've had you know lovely German Shepherds in the past, but not from those lines. And now they're in for a completely different you know uh, situation. So. So tell me more about that. Like get, get into the shoreline working line and then your experience with the different, you know, like German, Czech, uh, American, and in, in your your thoughts on that.
0: Okay. Um yeah. So
1: broad question, I know. German
0: sh- <laughs> Yeah, no, German shepherds are interested in breed because I would say as a breed, there's so many like different bloodlines within the breed, right? So like we're as dog trainers, right? We obviously definitely want to know about what we're getting into before we Deal with the case and a new client. So it's always good to know about different breeds of dogs or different, or at least the different types of dogs, right? Like what propensity do the flock guardian breeds have? Which propensities do the terriers have? Now, German Shepherds, there's, I cannot think of any other breed of dog that has so many differences within the breed. For instance, you can have German Shepherds that have been selectively bred as C&I dogs for the blind for generations and have very low prey drive and are very non-reactive and are not as protective and things like that. And then you will have other ones. I know people that purposely breed their dogs to be very reactive because they want dogs with really quick triggers for security purposes. And you get everything in between. And it's good to know about the different type of lines. And even within the lines, there's lines within the lines. So this could drive you crazy, right? But I'm going to give you a cheat sheet is the sport lines and working lines. I, when you hear working lines, working lines and sporting lines, they can be almost one in the same. So you got to be careful. I would say that is the most difficult line to get good at because, um, Sporting slash working lines, people generally study dogs within the pedigree to know what they're kind of going to get. And the line breeding on certain dogs. And this is if we're dealing with like a good breeder, right? You have to deal with a good breeder that knows what they're getting. Because, like I said, they're almost, they're considered the same thing. However, some are much more, much more barrier frustration, which I'm not a fan of because most of my, reactive dog cases with German Shepherds deal with like strong barrier frustration. And you got to know they're prone to it. Unless you need a dog that barks its head off for certain things. I always tell people, you know, avoid dogs with strong barrier frustration that bark easier when you do that. When you do the temperament test, you'll make your life so much easier. Look for the more clear headed dogs and a lot of dogs that their bloodlines, even though they're coming from very similar pedigrees. That have been using been used more from military and police, you will generally see what I call, like I said, the clearer headed dog. Not as much barrier
1: frustration.
0: All right, and you could probably do a couple. There, I mean, I know there's there's breeders out there that do, you know, that would do podcasts just on or do seminars just on trying to figure out the lines within the lines. We're talking about sport and working and breed. So that one, be careful of. But do your research now. The next line is the German show lines, right? You got the German show lines. And those are, most people recognize those. Now with the working lines, most people recognize those because those are usually like the sable and black ones. And where the German show lines, those are like your typical, really beautiful, big head, like black and tan dogs that if you like Google German show lines, like you'll recognize that kind of dog those, I like those dogs. If you get a good one, right? If you get a good one, there are a lot of good ones. If they're bred well by a good breeder, those, in my opinion, have a really great balance of a dog that you can have fun with and do sports stuff and do clubs, but are not over the top necessarily for the average person and have a good balance of being protective and and stuff like that. However, like anything else, you have to research the breeder cuz i am ha- going to top off this whole subject with something very important american show lines all right american show lines which most people know all right those are going to be like the longer more narrow dogs notoriously like made fun of for like not being used for work anymore you will find some it comes down to to the breeder all right like i have dealt with a lot of amazing show line dogs if the breeder cares about the important temperament things you should care about with every dog, right? The common denominator of any breed of dog, any breeder, I'm doing temperament tests is fearfulness, right? Any dog that's overly fearful or skittish, it's going to make it harder to do anything with it, all right? So if if you look out for that, you're going to get a dog that definitely usually has less drive, better for a pet, but... Because these bloodlines, like I would say the American show lines, whenever they sort of isolated these American dogs, what I did notice is one thing that is strong in their genetics definitely is concern for the owner and protectiveness of the owner. Although I say you're not going to win any sporting competitions, all right, you might even get kicked off the field. But I did notice the American lines, if you can, most of them can do a minimum amount of personal protection trading, people are going to say this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. But I'm telling you, most of them could do a minimum amount that is enough to do what they need to do. Now I'm going to talk about another thing is backyard breeders. All right, Backyard breeders. People talk bad about backyard breeders. But this is what I want people to consider before just talking right off the bat bad about backyard breeders. Is anyone that gets a dog, it doesn't matter what type of dog you get, the most important thing you want to see is, does this breeder do with their dogs what you want to do with your dog, okay? So if you're getting a German Shepherd and you want it mostly as a pet, is this breeder's German Shepherds also mostly a pet, or is it spinning around in a kennel outside somewhere because it's hard for it to deal with inside of the house? So. I've dealt with German shepherds that were backyard bred, all right? Backyard bred. But like, don't group all backyard breeders just because they're not showing their dogs or doing anything fancy with dogs in the same category, all right? Health, all right? If they're concerned about health and temperament, next is what are they selectively breeding the dog for? And if it's the, Mostly a companion and the dog shows some protectiveness. You know, look, look at those dogs, because, again, going back to the working line dogs, my dogs that are bred to be police dogs, you know, some people may find surprising is they want the dog to be a good watchdog. Let them know when people are coming on the property. A lot of these will not even bark when someone approaches, approaches someone's yard. Why? Because it's not valued necessarily in a police dog. They're not using them to protect property. So with some lines, you do not see a strong instinct with it. And when I was, because I used to have so many German shepherds at my kennel, I wanted, I was producing for personal protection. So I was collecting German shepherds from all over, and I wanted to see which ones had the traits that I wanted. And you would be surprised how little of like the sporting lines showed the territorial instinct I wanted where the dog instinctively barked and let me know when someone was on the property. It was not as strong as much in a lot of the, the sporting and working lines, but stronger in some of the show lines, actually. All right. So these are things to take into consider. There's so many things to take into consideration. But if someone likes a German Shepherd, you got to go to a good breeder that is working with the dog. It's not just you can have someone with pedigrees that look great, and they're going to talk about the dog's grandparents and everything else, but they do not do with the dogs what you want the dogs to do, and you may get behaviors from that dog that are completely opposite of what you read or what you heard about the dog, all right? Like, bad human you know aggression towards family members or resource guarding or 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 traits that you just don't really want you know that you really want and they should be testing for these these particular breeders
1: yeah we could go down this big rabbit hole there i mean i had sue sternberg and trish mcmillan on last season talking about this how we you know we do get on the backyard breeders and this is we could we could get into a whole conversation about that and how we're actually spaying and neutering to extinction the good dogs, you know, so that we're seeing a lot of these these dogs that could be lovely family dogs or maybe fitting what somebody's actually looking for in a dog and we're seeing less and less than that because we're demonizing certain facets of where we're getting dogs from and, you know, we're seeing these real funky anomalies coming out of other places, right, and the behavior we're seeing coming from certain areas. So, yeah, it's definitely something for a future conversation as well. So you mentioned, you know, several different lines. If you were to to recommend something, if somebody's just looking for a nice pet dog, German Shepherd, it sounds like you're saying American show lines are probably one of your preferred for somebody looking for just a
0: family pet. I'm totally, I know lots of people that, I mean, that have, I mean, I have a working line, German Shepherd as a pet, and I'm not doing anything crazy with the dogs, right? It's just, it's, if you're, if you do not want to research your butt off, Right. I would say start with the German show lines and the American show lines and crosses in between them. All right. Like, but it's, it's definitely the, like, obviously we could, you could do multiple podcasts on like choosing, choosing a good breeders, but you need to remember like these working dogs, like they were designed to work all day long and they're happiest when they're wet, when, when they're doing that. So if you know you're very active and it's going to be a hobby and you have an outlet for the dog, like even my working line dog, I have a big yard and a Portuguese water dog he can run circles around with. And you, you have to just choose choose wisely. You can find a good ger- German shepherd from any line. Yeah, but if you don't want to do tons of research, I would say look into, ger- I would say German sh- show lines, I would say less health problems than the American lines but them and a lot of breeders have crosses between those between those two the breeders that are primarily just breeding for the show ring and looks you got to be careful with you know like that's why i said don't rule out something that at first comes off as a backyard breeder like sometimes because i say people sometimes call backyard breeders if they don't have lots of trophies or they're not showing the dogs like There are some people that are fanatics that really have a love for the dog and truly are just breeding for health and good temperament. And like, I really have seen gems, you know, so like, just don't rule out a certain line, but yeah, do know it's easier if you look towards the non-working lines, you go towards more of the show line side of things for for pets, but not necessarily that champions, right? Mm Mm-hmm.
1: So you know what's going to happen after this podcast airs. You're going to get like hundreds of requests for <laughs> breeder recommendations, right? <laughs> so so one other thing, I know the show is kind of uh, coming to an end here, but I wanted to touch base on other breeds. So like you've worked with, of course, many different breeds in terms of what, what breeds are best suited for the type of uh, work you do, like protection work uh dogs that you would or breeds that you would recommend at least even now maybe i you know breeding as as you and i were just talking about has changed over the years and the breeds have sort of morphed into different directions with both physical and behavioral characteristics but what breeds do you look for now when you're when somebody's coming to you for this potential uh work
0: i definitely prefer i know we talked we've been talking about it the whole time i always recommend german shepherds or i'll tell you why Specifically why I recommend the German Shepherd. And then we could go into other breeds, is because you have a greater chance of finding a dog that truly has like eyes for their owner. You know, like you can't lose the dog, right? Like, which is very important. Even in old, even though I can't stand the book, the 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 um, the Bill Keeler book of dog training, right? Mm-hmm. The book is, is horrible, the guy's attitude is horrible. However, his section on choosing a dog for protection, which he did a lot of, like one of his first don't do this. He said, if you you go with an adult dog, it's like adopt it, hang out with it for a couple of weeks and open your front door and go out in your front yard. If a dog runs away, don't, it's not a good prospect, right? Is um, German shepherds tend to be aware of the owner and care about them. The other thing is, because they were, because of the sport training and police training, where historically they were even having them like picking up objects and metal objects and stuff like that. A lot of a lot of lines you don't see as bad resource guarding, and a lot in and in a lot of the German shepherds, as you see with some of the other dogs that are used as as protection. And I always tell people, you don't want to be more likely to be hurt by your protection dog than it actually protecting you. Right? You don't <laughs> want a dog to be a danger to your kids and stuff like that. Which also brings me to the next thing why I like them is you also have less of a tendency. And I know this is kind of like uh, sort of like could you know it could be a debatable word, you know, dominance aggression. All right. And now what I mean by dominance aggression, I'll be more specific, is dogs that show aggression over over resources, meaning over like not something they own. But limited resources, meaning like I see less aggression towards the, towards the couch or towards toys and, and things like that. And what I call leadership aggression, which people also sometimes when I'm talking about dominance aggression. I'm talking about conflict over a limited resource, leadership aggression. I'm talking about conflict over who's leading, basically. So you see less aggression with the dog growls because you pet the dog and it doesn't want to be pet at that time. Or you're trying to walk out of the house, the you know, dog wants to, you're trying to leave, and the dog doesn't want you to leave, that kind of stuff, right? I just see less of that. Again, you want you want less of a propensity of that kind of stuff because they were definitely bred to follow. You know, they were they were bred to thrive following the commands of humans. So with a little bit of effort, it's pretty easy to find one that takes to that very naturally. Of course, you can take a good dog do everything the wrong way and bring out the worst in a dog, right? But it's just it's easier with the dog that was selectively bred to not really show those things, all right? But again, why it's important to go to a good breeder that pays attention and doesn't breed a dog that shows that just because it's pretty or has a bigger head or or whatever. Now, other breeds which I do like, which is I like the Doberman Pinscher, all right? Um, again, they have, I mean, they're one of the few breeds that were. That, that's what they were bred to do, right? Um, they were bred to protect. So you can find a lot of them that do have that instinct to do it on some level, right? You don't see them with the crazy sort of drives you see doing police work, you know, that are biting on and hanging on to their up to death. But the instinct to protect the owner is pretty strong with a lot of Doberman pinchers. Classic Rottweiler, all right. As long as you look out for again, Rottweilers is more of a tendency for resource guarding and leadership aggression, dominance aggression, or however you want to classify it, all right. Like because again, it you have to go back, you have to go into the ethology of the of the uh, breed. You know, they were more independent breed. They were used more for guarding protecting things that were around their neck. You know, you know. I mean, you could you could go you can go into the history of the Rottweiler so. I would say it's more of like a higher difficulty level, but it's kind of like if someone likes cars, sometimes they want the fastest car, right? If someone likes personal protect, but you're more likely to crash it if you don't know how to drive it. If someone's really into protection and they want something very powerful and impressive, right? Even though there's more than enough, you don't people don't want to get bitten by a 40-pound dog, right? But, (laughs) But if someone likes bigger, right? If someone likes bigger, just be more careful choosing the Rottweiler. I prefer the females, you know, I prefer the female Rottweilers because it's just less turbo boost with the hormones and testosterone. And then you really cannot go wrong with, you know, not as popular a lot of the the guardian breeds out there. Uh, Anything that was bred to like guard flocks and stuff like that, I've seen them all do really, really well. Again, they will all get laughed off a sporting field, never going to be a police dog. But if you want something that'll get in between you, and you don't have to do much prompting to get the behavior out of out of the dog. Uh, you know, sometimes you have to chase someone to the ends of the earth. Most of the guardian breeds can be trained very, very easily. And even though they're not known to be the most biddable, if you have a good relationship with them, they tend to be easy to train too. You know, they tend to be easy to train. I, I really like the, I mean, I've seen really impressive things with uh, with a lot of the, the flock guardian type type of breeds. and. And then the Mastiffs, we can't leave out the molasses breeds, all right? So Connie Corsos and, and all those things. But again, I caution, it's the same idea as the Rottweiler. Like the Connie Corsos, I've probably dealt with more, considering that not that many of them out there. I probably deal with more aggression towards the owners, percentage-wise, considering the amount that are out there, than definitely, than like, you know, a lot of the other breeds out there. So you have to be careful where, you know, where, where, where you get them from a lot of those Molosser breeds, you know, but you gotta, you gotta do your research, you gotta do, you gotta do your research, but German Shepherds, it's in their blood, you know, it's in their blood. That's what they're being used for. And it's easier to find breeders that know more about that dog and its parents and its grandparents and its great grandparents. And there's forums and there's pedigree database and there's, you know, that's, that's sort of the dog to go to. Like if you're serious anyone any of these companies that are like selling personal protection dogs for large amounts of money there's a reason why they're mostly dealing with German shepherds it's like they're not getting as many returns right on on the dog's because there's there's <laughs> yeah. less yeah the you know once yeah. the dogs start showing aggression towards the owners, you know they end up getting sent back and stuff like that so it's it's, it's the it's the go to dog, but don't rule out anything you know don't don't rule out anything you'll find poodles out there doing it if you look hard enough.
1: <laughs> mike that was uh fantastic tons of great information there Um I mean, there's there's so much to unpack and i'm and we could talk all day about this but I, i'm going to uh wrap it up there but i do want to ask where can people find you and, and find out more about what you're up to and what do you what do you have for projects lined up
0: oh okay um best place to find me sort of like my my internet junkyard, we could call it is, uh, is dog training dot world instead of dot com, just dog training dot world. It's been my playground for, for like 13 years. You know, I have like my own little forum on there. I collect studies, things like that. I have a knowledge base. So I'm a big nerd. Like I need to know the answers. You know, I, if I say something or someone said, you know, if I hear something, like I want to know the source of the information. So I collect studies and information and that's where. I do live Q and A's and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's a membership. I have a membership site, but I have a front end that you can just search articles and anything that's I, I respect copyrights. It's just like, if there's published studies and stuff like that out there, I like to collect the stuff because I like, I firmly believe that like once you learn something and that you do it, you're doing it for a while. It's sort of our duty to to teach. And, and you're looking for the next generation of dog trainers to be better than us right that's why we do it like i when i when i'm working with like a new dog trainer it's like i want them i try to give them everything it took me 25 years to learn i try to shove it all in a year i was like even if it was like you have a head start it was like by the time you're doing it half the time that i've been doing it you're going to be far better trainer than me right and that that's everything in the world right like it's our it's our duty like Learn it, do it, teach it, right. And that's I'm still learning myself, right. So you never stop learning. You got to keep evolving. But uh, I've really been trying to like give other trainers a head start, so they don't have to make the same mistakes I have in the in the past with training and just easier, make it easier for people to find find their own find their own way out there. It's, it's a great field.
1: Well, I, I really appreciate you coming on and and sharing that teaching part with me here on this podcast. I'm sure there's going to be I'm sure many useful pieces of information for people working with training, especially aggression and understanding that that protection side of things, the different lines of German shepherds and everything you talked about is just it doesn't get talked about enough in uh, the dog training world. So it's, it's great to hear your point of view uh, and all the information you've got. So Thanks again, Mike. I hope to see you in person at some point in the future when we can get together. Um, and I wish you well for the rest of the year.
0: Yeah, thanks, Mike. Have a, have a great year, too. and I look forward to, to seeing you again, too. Uh, th- thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for joining me for the Bitey End of the Dog. If you like the show, please feel free to subscribe, share, and give a rating. And hop on over to AggressiveDog.com or TheLooseLeashAcademy.com for more information about webinars, courses, and conferences, all dedicated to helping dogs with aggression issues. And don't forget, the Aggression and Dogs Conference will be happening from October 22nd to 24th with 12 amazing speakers, all streaming from a television studio in Chicago. It's going to be a truly unique event in 2021.